Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Well, again, welcome to church, everybody. You feeling good? Yeah? Feeling real good? Just kind of good? Partially good? Hey, check this out. I'm going to cue the house lights. Your mind is getting ready to be blown. For the first time ever, it's not going to be dark in church. Can I get an amen? Turn the house lights up, man. Wow. (laughs) Uh, You're so beautiful. I love you. And for those of you who are used to sleeping in this time, I apologize. I can now see you. You have no excuses, okay? All right. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day. Well, a couple of things we want uh, to make known to you. The first is uh, that every single week we transform this school cafeteria into what we call the cafetorium. And our guys do an incredible job with that, and it's absolutely uh, probably the most beautiful environment you can have uh, in a cafeteria. Would you not agree? All right. I mean, it's amazing uh, that during the week, this is pure chaos where 11 to 13-year-olds are having their way, evidenced in the fact that there's a pencil stuck up in the ceiling right there, just to remind you that although you feel like you're in a budding, incredible church auditorium, nah, you're just in a junior high cafeteria, okay? Uh, But our team that makes that happen is a team that's called the builders, okay? The builders. We like to say we don't have set up and tear down people. No, man, that's lame. We got people to build stuff. You know what I mean? And so we have builders. And so the builders get here every single uh, Sunday morning, just a little bit earlier than some of you arrive, and they transform this environment into what we get to enjoy every single week. And so we want to invite you. I know that we get questions all the time and emails all the time. Hey, how can I serve? How can I give? What's an area that you can use me? And I'll tell you that specifically over the summer months, uh, being a builder would be massively helpful as these guys are laying it in day in and day out. So if the idea of helping set up doesn't sound fun, it's all good because it doesn't sound fun to anybody. But I promise you, that when you come, you will have fun, all right? So you can get information about being a builder by going to the welcome home table that's in the lobby, the same place you catch in that connect card, and say, I want to be a builder, and those beautiful people will help you connect to that team, and I promise you, you'll have a great time doing it, all right? You guys thankful for our builders? Thankful for them. They're amazing. They absolutely are the best. Now, we've been in a series of talks called, what's it called? The what? The what? The hustle. But a series of talks called the hustle. Now, to hustle means to move forcibly in a specific direction and to take action. And we believe that as followers of Jesus, we have the privilege to live on purpose. To live on purpose. And we've been using 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, kind of as our GPS system, our roadmap for these past few weeks. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he writes this to the Corinthian church. Though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. 
To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, become like one not having the law, though I myself am not free from God's law, but under the law of Christ, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. And I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Now, I'm wondering, can we read that together in your best church voice? This is your first time in church. Your church voice is the same as your football voice, okay? So if you're like, I don't know what a church voice is, yeah, I know that you know what a football voice is, so it's the same, all right? It's actually a little better than a football voice. So we're going to read this in our best church voice. Everybody with me? All right, here we go. It says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And you can kind of sum up our series of talks thus far with the statement that we believe that you were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And we looked at the fact that when God knit you together, it says in Psalms 139, inside your mom's tummy, that he created you, he knit you with a plan, and that plan was to join with him to see his name glorified all over the earth. And we said that most of the time we don't live on purpose because we don't believe that the way that God made us was on purpose. And so our first step to being those who live to win some or to save some is to understand that primarily we need to understand that God loves us so much and he created us for a purpose, that your passions are on purpose. What makes you you is on purpose, and that purpose is supposed to bring the kingdom, the light of the world, into every surrounding area that you enter. You were made on purpose, and that on purpose has a purpose, and oftentimes we miss the has a purpose, right, because we talked in week two about the fact that we don't often see the people that we're around, right? We just happen to see what the people are doing. We see what they stand for, but we don't see a person. Because if we saw a person when we look across the room, it would lead to us responding in compassion. And compassion always leads to conversation, and conversations lead to transformation. And so we are been learning together how to hustle for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, to forcibly advance the gospel of Jesus because we have been made on purpose for a purpose. Everybody with me? You enjoying this little review? And then last week we dove into the fact that as we look across the room and we begin to move across the room, sometimes we trip along the way. And last week we talked about stop tripping. Right? And we use Proverbs 29, 25. It says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. And if we want the what ifs in our mind to, uh, excuse me, that if we don't want the what ifs in our minds to silence our why, we have to get a bigger why. We have to get a 
bigger why. And the key to living on purpose, to live to win some, is living with a big why. Remembering what Jesus has done for us will fuel our why those around us need to hear about him. And we said that we don't overcome fear by getting tougher. We overcome fear by getting tender. And this week, we want to take another step in this journey of learning how to advance or to live as Paul did to win some by looking at this idea of discipleship. Discipleship. What is discipleship? And I want to read Matthew 28, 16 to kind of give us some context for where we're heading this morning. And it says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Discipleship. Yeah, I lived in California for a little bit, lived in San Diego. Anybody from San Diego here? Okay. All right. A couple people. You guys are interactive today, man. I'm telling you what, y'all are so encouraging that, like, I might explode. Uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Lived in San Diego for a little bit. When I lived there, it was kind of like a dream come true for me, if I'm being honest with you. I always wanted to be from California. Grew up in Houston, Texas, which is not cool. Okay? There's not a lot of cool in Houston. There's just a lot of concrete. That's about it. Okay? They pour a lot of concrete in Houston. It's hot. It's humid. And it has a weird smell because everything that we use is produced there. Okay? And so, and, and, and there's some repercussions to that, which I grew up as my household potpourri. See, it's not cool to say you're from Houston. I meet people that say they were from California, and automatically they just moved up in the cool game. It didn't matter what they were wearing, how crazy their hair was, that they looked goofy, only had two teeth. You say you're from California, everybody's like, yeah. Especially if you're from Houston, because you say you're from Houston, they're like, oh. Right? And so I wanted to be from California my whole life, man. I wanted to say I'm from California. So when we ended up living in San Diego, this was like a fulfillment of a dream, man. This was it. Now, I was so committed in high school to trying to pretend like I was from California that I said, I will become a surfer. That's challenging when you live in Houston, Texas. But I was committed to the idea of being a surfer and people looking at me and being like, that dude must be from California because he looks like a surfer, you know what I mean? It's the whole kind of fake it until you make it mentality. And so I'm trying to, I'm committed to this. I buy a surfboard. I'd go down to Galveston like every weekend, and there's no waves in Galveston. It's a hot, dirty lake with foamy leftover swell. That's all it is. All right? It's disgusting. Once you've lived in California, the idea of Galveston makes you nauseous. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, why would I even go? Like, you sit on the sand, you're uncomfortable. You get in the water, you're more uncomfortable. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's not the beach. But that's all, that's all I had. So I was committed, man. I was going to go every, I went every time, every time I could. I'd go before school sometimes, wake up basically in the middle of the night, drive down there just to tell people, man, you know what I did this morning? I went surfing, man, Dawn Patrol. That's what I did, Dawn Patrol, man. That's how committed I am. So now I find myself in San Diego, California, and I'm like, I can now become 
a real surfer. Now, I had an idea of how to surf, right? I had spent four years trying to learn how to surf in Galveston, but you got to understand, Galveston's not real waves. It's not at all a wave at all. It's like a boat wake. Okay, I'll go to San Diego. There's waves down there, man. The whole game changes when you get into real waves. Now, I was committed to being a surfer, and I, I wanted so bad to learn how to surf. But you know who didn't want to help me? People that knew how to surf. People that know how to surf are the least welcoming kind of people that you can experience because the new person means that eventually they're going to learn how to do it, and they're going to take up space in the ocean. And so when they see a new person come in, their job is to make you feel like you do not belong and they're good at it. And so you're kind of off by yourself and people yelling at you, get out the way. You're like, I didn't even know I was in the way. Nobody was helping me at all, but I was committed, right? So I would go every single morning. I would go surfing before work every single morning by myself because I was committed to learning how to surf. Now, this goes on for a couple of months. I'm just getting my face kicked in. You know what I mean? You watch surfing on TV. It's like this graceful, peaceful, beautiful experience. I mean, you get in the ocean, it's violent. You know what I mean? It's worse than football. It's crazy, man. It's crazy out there. It's no hold bars. It's every man for himself. And so I'm out there just getting dominated. But, you know, eventually you kind of start to pick it up, right? Eventually you kind of start getting it a little bit. And so I'm getting to the point a couple of months in where I'm feeling a little bit comfortable in little waves. Most of the waves in San Diego are around three to four foot tall. That's kind of normal for San Diego. But every once in a while we get a swell. And that's when the big dogs come in and that's when the real dudes come out. And the first real swell hit San Diego. I've been surfing for about four months, and my friends that I was going to church with knew that I'd been going every single morning, and they were like, dude, you want to come surfing with us? And this is like my moment, man. They finally invited me. And we pull up, and I'm looking at these small two-story houses, like rolling in from the deep. Now, I was only like, you know, six to, to eight feet, not that crazy. Very comfortable for people that surf all the time. But for me, this was new territory. And so, of course, I'm acting like I got this, man, because I knew how to surf at this point. I had gotten through the waves. I had, you know, because when you, when you surf, there's an area called the impact zone, and that's where the waves actually break. If you get caught in that spot, bye-bye, you're going to have a long day. Okay, so you need to break through the impact zone and get past where the waves are breaking so that you can see where the swells are coming. And actually, what's crazy, it's really peaceful out there. It doesn't seem peaceful when you're on the beach, but once you get past the break, it's extremely peaceful. And at times, the water is just glass. It's absolutely amazing and gorgeous to be past the break. Now, I had made it past the break when the waves were three foot tall. So I thought I had it, and so I charge with these dudes that are ultimately, like, this close from being pro. I'm not even joking. These dudes were the real deal. And so they cruise out, and I'm caught in the impact zone. I can't make it past. And I'm so committed, man. I'm so, I'm like, I'm not going in for 30 minutes. 30 minutes, I'm just paddling. I mean, my tongue is hanging out. I'm dog tired. My shoulders feel like they're about to fall off. And it does not matter how committed I am. It didn't matter how hard I tried. I just could not make it through the break. I could not get through the impact zone. And my buddy Ryan, who was so compassionate, waited about 45 minutes before he came over to me. 
And he came over to me, and he's like, dude, have you been here the whole time? I was like, yeah, man, I have, actually. He's like, why? This isn't where you're supposed to be. I'm like, dude, I'm well aware that this is not where I'm supposed to be. But I can't get to where I know I need to be. And he's like, are you duck diving? I was like, yeah, man, I'm duck diving. Now, for those of you who don't know what, what that is, it's like when a wave comes, you press your surfboard down, you get underneath the wave, and the goal is that you get kind of underneath the current. The wave passes over the top of you, and you just be able to keep cruising. I was like, yeah, I'm duck diving. And then right about that time, another wave comes. Now, he duck dives and pops out the other side like ain't nothing, and I'm 20 feet away. Got washed up basically back up on the shore. And he's like, dude, are you putting your foot on the board whenever you duck dive, or are you just trying to use your arms? I was like, no, man, nobody ever told me I was supposed to put my foot on the board. I've just been trying to push it down my arms. He's like, no, man, you're doing it wrong. No wonder you can't get out. Of course, he's so compassionate, you know, looking at me like, why didn't you know that, dude? He's like, well, nobody ever told me that. And so another wave comes by, I press down, put my foot on the board, boom, pop out the other side. 30 to 40 minutes of struggling solved in one statement. One statement, I went from there is no hope, I'm never going to get out, I'm just going to live in a washing machine until these dudes get done, but I'm not going to quit. One statement from somebody who actually wanted to help me, who had my best in mind, took me from being trapped in the impact zone to experiencing some of the best waves that I've ever experienced in my life. You know what? That actually is the power of discipleship. Discipleship is people coming around you that have your best intentions in mind and giving you help to get through the impact zones that you feel stuck in in your life. I don't know what your impact zone is, but I know you have one. We all have one. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you feel like you're just getting dominated in your marriage. Maybe it's your parenting right? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your emotions. And we're just going to slowly turn the lights off. We're going to set the mood, all right? They're going to put the music's going to come on. It's going to get real spiritual. We'll get incense and everything. It's going to be amazing, all right? And so, like, I don't know what your impact zone is, but I know that you have one because you're human. There's all, there's aspects of all of our lives that we feel stuck And here's what's crazy. There's aspects of our lives that we want to get through. We we want to break through. You you don't like that you respond that way emotionally. You don't like that you get angry. You don't like that you treat your kids that way. You don't like that you harbor bitterness against your roommates. You don't like it, but at the same time, you feel trapped by it. And I know that this idea of discipleship can sometimes feel loaded, right? Depending on your church experience or your upbringing, it might bring up some feelings of fear. Maybe you guys have experienced really unhealthy relationships when someone said they were discipling you, but really all they were were just mean to you and condescending and codependent on you. That's not discipleship. Okay, maybe some of you don't even know what discipleship is. You're like, man, this is some kind of weird church where don't worry about it because here's our definition this morning. Can we just set the definition so we're all talking about the same thing and the best we can let go of what might or might not happen to you in your past and just kind of cruise forward together? Can we do that? So our definition for discipleship this morning is simple. It is people engaging in your life, helping you 
get through the impact zones in your life. People engaging in your life, helping you get through the impact zones in your life. The scripture that we open with is known as the Great Commission. This passage of scripture is literally the last words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. That that in and of itself, it's kind of a mind blow, right? You think about Jesus just ascending to heaven. It would have been pretty trippy to experience that, right? And so you have this, this moment where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, this is what I want you to be about. And what he tells them, the, re- the remaining 11 disciples, he says, very simply, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus basically says, I can do anything that I want. Don't skip past that because that makes the power of what he says next extremely potent. He says all authority on heaven and on earth, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. I can do anything I want. I can, I can create what I want. I can speak into existence what I want. All authority has been given to me. And Jesus says my plan is that you would take my why into the world. Now, if the idea was just for people to experience a message, to hear a story, this plan would make no sense. This plan makes absolutely no sense if you're thinking that the goal of Jesus was for people to hear a message. To simply hear something in their ears. If if that was the goal of Jesus, then this strategy makes no sense. Why would he look at 11 guys and say, now go and make disciples of all nations? If all authority on heaven and on earth is given to him and the goal of God was simply for people to hear a story... Don't you think he could have told the story better than his disciples? Don't you think he could have echoed across the earth with a booming, clarifying sermon saying, this is what matters, this is what's true, and this is what's real. Come and enjoy life with me in heaven. But the goal of Jesus was never for people to hear a message. The goal of Jesus was for people to see a message. If you understand that the goal of Jesus was for people not just to hear but to see a message, then this strategy goes from feeling outside of the box to making absolute, total sense. Because again, Paul defines for us in 1 Timothy, Jesus is why. Jesus is why in 1 Timothy 2 is that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's heart is that everybody on earth would experience him for who he is, and that would bring transformation in their now and in their eternity. That Jesus' heart is that we would all be saved and all come to a knowledge of the truth. That is his why. And it's amazing to me that Jesus would demonstrate living his why to 12 guys, one of which would leave him, 11 remaining that are hearing this great commission. But when you hear, go and make disciples of all nations, basically do what I've been doing. Hello, lights are on. Do what I've been doing. Go where I've been going. 
and do what we've been doing and keep inviting people into what we've been doing, that makes absolute sense when you understand that Jesus is not in it for people just to hear a message, but to experience the power of a message. Because since the beginning of time, humanity has tried to separate relationship with God and everything else. It's a temptation for all of us, no matter how young you are, how old you are, how new you are to your faith, how old you are in the faith. The fact is, is that there is a temptation in all of us to have a understanding intellectually of who Jesus is and what that means, and that be disconnected from who we are emotionally, in our hearts, in our souls. And we experience it from the fact that you people, you have people posting things on Facebook, like I'm about to go scream at my neighbor if they don't shut their dog up, but on the top of their Facebook page, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. That only makes sense if we approach the kingdom of heaven from an intellectual standpoint, that I know who Jesus is, but if knowing who Jesus is does not affect how I live my life, I question who you know. Because Jesus has always demonstrated an integrated life. What you believe shapes how you live. And and, and that's always been at the forefront of his ministry and how he lived in front of his disciples, these guys that he invited to follow him. And, And Jesus drove right into this reality in Matthew 25, speaking actually to his disciples. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered around him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or in needed clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? In verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. How we live our life will determine who we know. And then John, one of the 11 that heard this great commission, would later write in 1 John four nineteen that we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or his sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and their sister whom they can see cannot love God who they cannot see. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother. We can't really know Jesus and it not change everything about us and not affect every aspect of us. So understanding that Jesus has been demonstrating to his disciples an integrative life, it makes his strategy of then go and make disciples make an enormous amount of sense because Jesus didn't want people to have simply an intellectual understanding of who he was by hearing a lecture. They wanted them to see the power of a transformed 
life. They wanted them to see the power of a transformed life. They wanted them to see, not just hear, but see what it looked like to have an integrated life, to have a life that was alive in God and it affecting every aspect of who they were. You got to understand that Jesus looked at thugs, entrepreneurs, business people, doctors, and he said, follow me. These 11, that was their beginning. It started with Jesus coming to where they were and saying, follow me. And that was an invitation not just to listen to the Sermon on the Mount. That was an invitation to live life with Jesus, to see how he treated people, to see how he loved people, to see how the Sermon on the Mount would then become a lifestyle, not just something that they intellectually understood, but that they emotionally experienced, and they were transformed. They were changed. They were not the same men that they were before Jesus invited them into relationship with them. The areas of their life that they felt stuck in, God would graciously correct them. Jesus would lean in on them with compassion and encourage them. And he would say, this is not who you are anymore. And we would see the disciples bounce all over the place, right? I mean, goodness gracious, look at Peter. This dude was all over the place. Like he would get it right and get it way wrong, and then he would get it right. And Jesus has loved him all along the way because what discipleship is, is not just telling somebody the right thing one way, but it's embracing them all the way. And Jesus demonstrated to that to us by showing us how he cared for these 11 guys, and then he commissioned them to do the very same thing because he wanted what had been transformed in them to then carry over and bring transformation to others. Does it shock you that Jesus would draw crowds of thousands of people, but when it was all said and done, there was a little over a hundred people in a room? It doesn't matter if you've heard the sermon. It doesn't matter what you've been to. How we make it through the impact zone, we cannot do it by ourselves. We need the power of life-on-life relationship encouraging us, helping us, and getting us through. Maybe there's somebody that's gone through what you're going through, and they can help you just by telling you, just like Ryan said, dude, have you ever put your foot on the board? Maybe they're like, hey, you know what? Maybe you should try this. Have you ever tried this? And that could be the breakthrough that you need. Isn't it amazing that the breakthrough that we might be longing for is sitting right next to us in life group? Sitting right next to us. I don't know why God's strategy was the way that it was. I would have done it completely different. And preachers have been saying that for hundreds of years. But it's really true. It doesn't make any sense that Jesus would entrust this treasure to us. It doesn't make any sense. But it does begin to make a lot of sense when we begin to understand That we're not just here to give people some intellectual understanding of Jesus. We get to model life with Jesus. Discipleship is helping people get through the impact zones that they're in in their life. I grew up in church, kind of been a good guy, tried to be for almost my whole life. Don't have one of those testimonies of, you know, going crazy in college and swinging from chandeliers and, You know what I mean? That wasn't me. God got a hold of my life early, and I'm thankful for that. And I haven't turned away ever since. He grabbed hold of me after my freshman year in high school. And I had incredible parents that believed for me, prayed for me, loved on me. They were there for me. They were an incredible resource for me. But you know what? When I was in high school, I was seeking God, but I was a mess. There were areas of my life that I was stuck in the impact zone. 
And there were things going right, and there were things that were dominating me, specifically in the areas of emotional stability and purity. I mean, I felt held hostage by my emotions. There would be mornings where I'd wake up and be like, man, I'm just destined to suffer. But there is no breakthrough for me. This just must be my lot in life. I would get so angry at people, nobody would even want to be with me. I would lose my temper, be screaming and yelling. My friends would get annoyed with it and just leave. I would get so dominated by self-hatred that I'd just kind of walk around feeling defeated and overwhelmed and and like I was going to amount to nothing, that I was worth nothing. Emotionally, I had no control. My emotions were driving me. I felt like it was a mess, and the worst part about it is I started believing that that's just my personality, man. Maybe this is just me. Maybe this is my normal. My normal is just to suffer and to to wake up every morning and wonder if it's going to be a good day. I have no control. I can't drive this ship at all. I'm just along for the ride, and that's basically what I believed for many, many years. I knew that I wasn't supposed to do what I was doing with girls. I knew I wasn't supposed to be looking at what I was looking like online, but I didn't know how in the world not to. I felt stuck in the impact zone. I hated it. I lived with this mountains of guilt, mountains of shame, mountains of just frustration of the decisions that I'd made the night before, and I had no way out, and I was trying so hard. It wasn't like I was not trying. I was trying, man, just like I was trying to break through that surf. I was trying to live right. I just didn't know what to do. My freshman year in college, I happened to have a break in classes, about an hour break in classes at the same time as this guy named Jonathan that I knew from my life group, and we just started hanging out over Boston cream donuts, and at first, it just was just like a, just a kind of a hangout. We just happened to be in the student union building at the same time. We'd sit down, eat donuts together, and have a laugh, and have a great time. Jonathan had really given his life to the Lord the year before. He was now a sophomore. He got radically saved his freshman year in college. He's a year older than me, a little bit older than me in the Lord, and so I was just like, you know what? There's something about this guy that I kind of, I want. He didn't seem like he was hijacked by his emotions all the time. I remember he asked me, he's like, man, J.D., it kind of seems like you're angry sometimes. I was like, yeah, dude, like all the time. And he said, what's the scripture that you've memorizing that you can combat that anger with? And to me, I was like revolutionary. I was like, what in the world? I never even thought about that. Using the Bible? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, man, like the Bible actually is a weapon. The word of God is a sword. When somebody starts swinging a sword around, you want to back up. Maybe you should start swinging the word of God around so the devil has to back up. I was just like mind blown. I'd grown up in church. I'd heard all these talks, but no one had ever actually asked me that question. And so I'm sitting there going, I don't know. He's like, dude, why don't you find one? So I was like, okay, I found a scripture. You know, back in the day, this was like pre-internet. So you actually had to get like a concordance and go to anger and like look down and be like, Find something in the New Testament so you'd have a chance of understanding what in the dump it was saying. Found this scripture about anger, being slow to anger, quick to listen. So every time I started getting angry, instead of just feeling like I was held hostage by my anger, I'd be like, no, I'm about to read that scripture. I put it on a little note card. I put it in my back pocket. Every time I started feeling anger, I'd pull out that note card and I'd just read that scripture. I'd be walking around campus just reading that scripture. You know what happened? Breakthrough. 
that area of impact in my life, that impact zone, all of a sudden I was able to get on the other side of it and I'm walking around in peace and I had never experienced peace. Remember, forget Jonathan being like, dude, what's this other girl that I saw you with walking on campus, but who's she? I'm like, oh man, you know, you know how it is. You know, she my, you know, you know. And he'd be like, no, dude, I don't actually. Who is this girl? What's her name? I'm like, oh, man, I don't even know her name, bro. But she is hot. He'd be like, hey, what do you think God thinks about that girl? I'm like, whoa, bro, whoa. I understand the anger deal, but this is getting a little personal. You want me to ask God to see women the way that he sees them. Never thought about that before. So all of a sudden, same question. Hey, what's the scripture that you're going to read every time you're tempted to do what you know you shouldn't do? It's amazing. When you get in a relationship with someone who wants to make you through the impact zone of life, when they point you to Jesus, it's always safe. And so I got a scripture. And I would literally, man, I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to be held hostage by lust anymore. And I'd walk around campus, and I would just feel the temptation to go just be crazy, you know. And I would pull out my little note cards, and I would just be reading them, man. And just for months, I would just walk around campus, not even looking around, just reading note cards. But you know what happened? Breakthrough. We don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be trapped in the impact zone. Fill in the blank. Whatever you feel like is kicking your butt right now, it does not have to. There is a hope. And his name is Jesus. And the strategy of Jesus for us to encounter who he is, is for the people of God to understanding that we've been made on purpose for a purpose. And there's people that are trapped in areas that you've broken through. And you get to say, do you know what scripture that I used when I struggled with fear? It was this one. Why don't you read this every night before you go to bed? amazing how simple it is because it's not about just memorizing some tenets of religion it's not about trying to memorize some sermon that Jesus preached it's about the power of a transformed life Jesus was in it for people to have integration for the way that they live to reflect what they believed when we're trying to get intellectual understanding and it not physically working its way out through our lives then we will become a stagnant pond destined to get bitter, frustrated, lonely, and isolated. But if you're a river, if you allow what God's doing in you, maybe you've just had one breakthrough. Maybe it's small. When you begin to give that out, when you begin to give that away, you begin to understand that maybe actually it's bigger than you thought. Maybe it's bigger than you thought. You know what, man? The only breakthrough that I had was through anger for a long time. That's all I could get free from. And, man, I tell you what, man, I just, and, and everybody that I saw get frustrated on the tennis court, man, we used to play tennis all the time in college. And everybody would get, be like, dude, you know what I did when I get mad? I read this scripture, bro. They'd be like, for real? I'm like, dude, it works. Try it. Discipleship is people helping people through the impact zones in their life. It's what discipleship is. It's helping people see transformation in the areas of their life that they feel stuck in. 
We were created to move towards Jesus. And God's strategy to get us closer to him was that we would link arms to those that are around us. We can't get there by ourselves. If we could get there by ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have told these 11 guys to do what he told them to do. But his strategy was that they would go and make disciples to teach them what Jesus had taught them, to invite people into what he had invited them into, and to keep it going away, training other people to do the same. And all of a sudden, thousands of years later, 11 guys turns into us sitting here in Austin, Texas. You think the strategy of, of Jesus works? I think the strategy of Jesus is the strategy. And we're going to demystify it. We're going to take all the smoke and mirrors away from it and just make it simply people helping people get through the impact zones in their life. We're going to look to give and to receive. It doesn't matter if you're young or old in the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're 25 or 75. We can learn from the breakthroughs in each other. You don't need to look for somebody who's 100 years old to disciple you. You need to look for somebody that might have gotten through some wave that's kicking your butt and say, help me. And maybe you're 50 and you need to look at somebody who's 30 and being like, bro, you've got freedom in areas of my life that I don't. Would you help me? Would you teach me what God has done in you? Would you allow me to learn from you? And then guess what's going to happen? Breakthrough. Discipleship is helping people get through the impact zones in their life. And I guarantee you this, that if we're faithful to do what Jesus has asked us to do, he will be faithful to do what only he can do. Believe that? Would you stand with me? We're going to respond a little bit differently this morning than we normally do, as those of you who are new to Antioch might not know that every single week we have our leaders come to the front and we pray for anybody who has need. And just so you know, they will be up here. And if you have anything going on in your world that you need somebody to put an arm around you and believe with you, fight for you, they are going to be here for you. But we, I feel like this message is something that we all need to respond to. This is a collective yes. This is a collective yes as a community saying, we will be a community that is committed to helping people get through the impact zones in their life. And so we want to respond from a place of surrender and just being like, Jesus, would you awaken this in me? Would you awaken a desire in me? Maybe it's a desire to get free again. Maybe it's a desire to lean into people again. Maybe it's a desire and a confidence to actually lean into those around you. But whatever it is, I want to give you space to do business with God. Because as we all surrender, we all win. And we all need to say yes to this. This isn't just somebody, a few of us saying yes to this. This is us as a community saying yes to this. So I'm going to pray. The team is going to sing. And as they sing, you respond. A few of our leaders will be up here if you need prayer for anything. But as I pray, let's just begin to do business with God. Jesus, thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your story. Thank you for making a way where there is no way. Thank you for demonstrating to us your kindness. Thank you, God, for calling us not just to an intellectual understanding of a sermon, but the power of a transformed life. So, Jesus, would you bring integration? Would you bring transformation? And would we be forever transformed as we lean into you and believe you that we've been created on purpose for a purpose? And that purpose is in part to help people through the impact zones in their life. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's respond.